0: And we have been beneficiaries of that. This church, uh, for the last four years, we've received funding from the North American Mission Board. Um, But we have an opportunity also to give back. Uh, It's the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Annie Armstrong, for those of you who might not know, she was a a woman uh, in history that felt very strongly about missions. And so she pushed churches to give to missions in the United States and Canada uh, and they named an offering after, and we collect that offering typically on and around Easter. We've been doing it for a couple weeks. Our goal is fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, we reached our Christmas goal for the International Missions offering at Christmas for about the same amount. Now we're pushing to do that for this. Um, a couple of the things that that International Mission or the North American Mission Board does besides um, church planting is send relief, uh, which uh, is an organization that that internationally. Uh, along with the International Mission Board, supports people in disasters, refugees, and in wars. So right now, uh, giving to Sin Relief uh, through the North American Mission Board or through the International Mission Board will reach uh, refugees in Ukraine uh, and around the world. There have been other disasters. Ukraine's been high on our list, but there have been other disasters. There's been a flood in Africa, uh, and there's been a couple of other things that have happened in the last couple of months. Uh, hurricanes in Madagascar and Sin Relief has responded to all of those. Um, one other thing uh, that they mentioned in the video was the send Relief Centers, uh, and they mentioned a couple of cities, and I, I have mentioned before, I wanted to mention again, that they're opening up a center here in Chicago. It's in the Austin neighborhood, uh, and uh, we'll have opportunities as it grows and begins to impact the community to volunteer there, so I'll be keeping you posted about that. Uh, that should be good. All right, so let's get into the message Coordinating the timeline of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances has some challenges. If you've ever read the four Gospels, you'll know that there's different accounts of what happened and who spoke and who didn't speak and and where Jesus appeared. Um, But despite that, scholars agree, uh, especially New Testament scholars agree, that Jesus' account of individual appearances to Mary, to Peter, and the two on the road to Emmaus were among the first. Um, I find it interesting that Jesus chose to appear to individuals or small groups first before going to the large group. As humans, from our perspective, we we would think and maybe even say, Jesus, wouldn't it have been best to go to the big group? The 11, you know, Judas had already uh, committed suicide at this point. The 12th uh, apostle had not yet been named. We find that out in Acts when he is named. Um, but, but we would have thought probably Jesus would have gone to the 11 and, and the, the other uh, disciples and followers of Christ uh, and, and women who helped uh, in the ministry of Christ. You would have thought he would have gone to them, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead of rushing to immediately comfort the disciples, comfort this large group uh, of people, he went uh, to two basically unknowns on the road to Emmaus. He spent the better part of Easter Sunday, I found this interesting, walking with two disciples on the road to the city of Emmaus. He didn't appear to the eleven until later. It makes sense to us that he would have wanted to do that, but that's not what Jesus did. Instead of immediately relieving the fears and the concerns of the larger group, he spent the day walking and talking with two, what we would consider basically unknowns, two travelers returning home from the Passover events of the prior week. These two are not listed among the 11 of the apostles. They were probably uh, likely from a larger group of disciples and, and other people who were following Christ, and they probably traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover Uh, much as Christ and the apostles did. They probably watched Jesus in his triumphal entry uh, on Palm Sunday, which we talked about last week, and they probably stood confused and transfixed and distraught as they watched the the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Christ as it played out right before their eyes. And then Scripture says these two were traveling home, downcast, and perplexed. And then their day changed. Turn to Luke 24. We're going to read in verse 13 and following. It'll be on the screen as well, but you might want to grab your Bible. You can grab it on your phone. You can look at a Bible under your seat. You can also follow along on the screen. And we're going to read and see what it says here. It says, "...that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened." While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, saying, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to, him, said to them, What things? Jesus is, is playing coy. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now it is the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying, they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. But you notice that they were sad still. Some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And then Jesus said to them, O foolish one, slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter to his glory? Then beginning with, the, with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things of Scripture concerning himself. Then it says, they drew near to the village, which they were going to, and Jesus acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him, strongly saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he, that's Jesus, Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn uh, within us while he talked to us on the open road about uh, the scriptures? He opened the scriptures to us. And they rose that same hour, it's night now, and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were there. Uh, were gathered, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, For it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. There's two verses here that I really want to focus your attention to, verse 27 and verse 45. It says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 45 says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I point these two verses out because they help us understand the question I posed at the beginning of the message. Why did Jesus appear to basically two unknowns? One we know by name, Cleopas. We don't know anything else about him. The other one we know uh, only as that other guy. He doesn't have a name. We, We don't know who he is. Why did Jesus appear to them? I think it was for this reason. I think he did it because talking about Jesus is the most important thing we can do. Did you hear what I said? Talking to others about Jesus is the most important thing we can do. And Jesus knew that he must model this for us. Uh, And he modeled it for us in an intimate setting, him and two other people. It was a long walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, somewhere around seven miles. Would have taken uh, between two and three hours. Uh, They had a long time to talk and a lot to talk about. The Scripture says the two were looking sad, and somehow they had missed the point. Watch this video with me, and you'll begin to get a sense of the depth of the discussion that they had. Let's take a look at this.
1: The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we like Jacob only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person. Jesus.
0: He crammed a lot into that two or three hours, didn't he? And I wasn't going to try to say all that this morning. Jesus primarily, most of all, would have drawn a line from the event of Passover. And they mentioned it in there when uh, they put the blood over the door so the angel of death would pass over. And they, as families, would sacrifice a lamb to put that blood on the door. He would have drawn a line to that in order to help people, uh, particularly those two, but by extension us today, that Jesus was a better and more perfect sacrifice for sin. Surely he would have quoted Isaiah to them, and I'm guessing he would have quoted a lot of Isaiah. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace." Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. These are among things that I'm certain, we don't know, but I'm certain Jesus talked with the the two about these things because he wanted to draw a line from the the beginning of the old testament to that moment so that they could capture who Christ really is and that it wasn't some miscarriage of justice that brought Jesus to the cross i i, I grew up in a, in a in a religious tradition that had a lot of sorrow at this time of year and we had sorrow on good friday and we had sorrow over the weekend and it was like it was so sad that jesus died and, and then when he rose, it was like, oh, well, well, thank God. God was able to fix it. But that's not what happened. There's no sorrow for us in the death of Christ. That was God's plan from the beginning. That was God's plan to redeem us. These two followers of Christ hadn't captured it, and some of us haven't captured it either. All along, God's plan was Christ would die to bring us back. Christ's death and burial and resurrection were the only thing. If there had been any other thing, if there had been any other way, any other possible means by which we could be saved, I think God would have chosen that. But God knew the only way to make us right with him was to give up his only son, the son that he loved we don't know how far they walked. Since it was a short trip, it was likely that they had walked all the way home. And at the moment, Jesus broke bread and they recognized him. Scripture says he vanished. But the recognition that Jesus was alive, it was so astounding. It was so amazing. It was so incredible and unexpected that even though the day was spent and night was falling, they packed their bags up and walked back to Jerusalem. Another two or three hour trip. When they got there, they had good news to share, life-changing news. They couldn't wait. They couldn't hold it. They had to go. Jesus had met with them and talked with them and taught them something important that, that is this. We must talk about Jesus. They couldn't wait, so they walked back. Maybe they even ran back. We don't know. They were pretty excited. They burst in, but the 11 had a tale to tell, didn't they? They said, hey, um, Jesus appeared to, to the Marys. The angels spoke to Peter. Um, we, they've seen Jesus. And, and don't you think those guys were like, you mean he hasn't spoken to all of you guys yet? <laughs> Wait till we tell you what happened to us. <laughs> we walked all the way from here to Emmaus with him. And he spoke with us and he talked with us. We didn't know it was him until the moment we invited him in and we ate together and and then we recognized him. And at the moment they said that Jesus appeared again in their midst, as quickly as he had vanished in Emmaus, he appeared in Jerusalem and he said to them, peace, peace be with you. He wished them peace. He invited them to touch his body. He ate with them. And again, open their minds to understand Scripture, saying, Thus it is written, The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Don't miss what it says there. It says, Talk about Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could have made that walk that day? I'll bet you Peter... And, and James, boy, James and John, the sons of thunder, the ones who had their mom go to Jesus and, and ask for the seats at the right and the left, and then they were chastised. But oh, don't you know those guys might have been a little hot under the collar when they realized these two basically no-name, unknown disciples, they weren't apostles, they, didn't, they weren't among the 12, they were just some guys following along. They were the b string. Don't you know they were hot? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they were too excited. But, but I, I think that maybe they might have been, that these two unknowns had spent so much time with Jesus. In verse 31, it says Jesus opened their eyes to recognize him. In verse 45, it says they opened, he opened their minds to understand. It's one thing to believe something when you can see it, isn't it? Thomas, we know the story. Uh, would not believe he wasn't with them when Jesus appeared and he missed that first appearance among the other apostles and said, I I don't believe you guys that it happened and I won't believe until I touch him, until I feel the wounds, put my hand in his side, Jesus appeared and gave him a chance to do exactly that. It's one thing to believe something that you can see. It's another thing altogether to believe without seeing by simply knowing By simply having faith, during that Emmaus walk, Jesus took time to carefully explain the whole of the Old Testament points to him. And in Jerusalem, he opened the mind for them to understand all the scriptures, which is to say that their understanding in some way was incomplete or clouded previously to that. 1 Corinthians one eighteen talks a little bit about this, where it says, "...the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing." But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Sometimes the Word of God doesn't make sense to people. There's a sense in which the Word of God, the Bible, and its contents are hidden or masked to some. In 1 Corinthians, it says that those are the lost, the separated, those who are apart from God, here written, those who are perishing. There's also a sense in which the mind of the believer, the Christ follower, is open to the Word of God. That the Word of God is revealed to us. That because of the filling of the Holy Spirit and salvation in Christ, when we read Scripture, we understand things we wouldn't have understood otherwise. We know from the biblical text, again, salvation in Jesus Christ has always been part of God's plan. His death, burial, and resurrection were no mistake. He's due no pity what happened as if it were a miscarriage of justice. It was God's plan. We also know Christ could have done anything that day. Can you imagine? He just rose from the dead and he appeared at the tomb to a couple of choice select early risers. Early bird gets the worm, right? And then he jumps onto the road with these two unknowns, I believe one of the reasons is so that story would be captured in Scripture so that we could read it here today and know that one of the most important things that Jesus could do at that moment was to talk about himself. To give us a model, a pattern, the person of Jesus and his sacrifice for sin is still the most important thing we can talk about today. That's because Jesus Christ is the way and the truth And the life, and no one can come to the Father and find forgiveness from sin, their own sin, in any other way except through Christ Himself. Why would we talk about anything else? Why would we discuss anything else? Listen to what Moses taught the people of Israel about the importance of God's Word Deuteronomy 6. Starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen to what you do with these words. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. He even goes so far as to say you bind them on your hand and bind them between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. God's serious about his word. Talk about it. Speak about it. Think about it. Meditate about it. But listen, Easter morning, before Christ can open your mind to his word, you have to open your heart to God. That's, the, that's that missing link piece, right? Because there's, in some sense, the word of God is clouded to those who are perishing. Uh, it's not understood. It's folly. It's foolishness, some versions of Scripture say, to those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, those who don't have uh, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we don't understand. We, we look at it, you, you read it, and it doesn't make sense. Before Christ can open your mind to the word of God, you must open your heart to the finished work of Christ. That's what Easter is about. That's the completion. That's the end of the story, or maybe the beginning of the story of Easter, if you will. That's why all around the world today, in churches, all, e- even in Ukraine, where they're at war, they are celebrating a risen Savior. Christians are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Allow the word of God and the sacrifice of Christ to finish its work in you today. Scripture says God's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, He's calling. He's knocking. He's waiting. And if we've learned anything from Scripture at all is that we can't do anything to earn it. We can't buy it. We can't be good enough. We can't prepare ourselves. We can't uh, dot the I's and cross the T's. We don't bring anything. We'd we'd like to think, I can bring something to this equation. I can bring something to this relationship. God, I have these tools and these talents and these abilities, and I bring them to you. Um, Can you use them? I'll get clean and right first, and then I'll come to faith in Christ. To be released from the penalty of sin and death, is to accept the law of spirit and life. That's what Scripture says. We can't do anything. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. Here's the good news. The good news of Easter, it's a free gift, and God wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you on the basis of what His Son has done. He died. He was buried, and He rose again, He repaired what was broken in the garden, what Adam and Eve couldn't fix, what any of the apostles couldn't fix, what the prophets in the Old Testament couldn't repair. He came to complete what the law couldn't do. If we learn anything from Scripture, it's that the law just shows us we're broken and incapable of knowing God the way He should be known. And the only way to know him is to set aside our own will and our own desires and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I accept you. Save me. Scripture says if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart the story of Easter that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from an eternity separated from God. Saved from an eternity separated from all things good. Good. Saved into a new relationship. The old is gone and the new has come. That's the story of Easter. And that's, the, that's the, the challenge of Easter. Ask yourself today, have I done that? Can I honestly say to myself, in my heart, I have come to the place where I have asked Jesus Christ to save me and be my Lord and Savior. Give yourself the best Easter gift. <laughs> allow God to give you the best Easter gift ever. It's not a basket of candy. (laughs) It's a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there are all around this room and online uh, folks that have listened and, and Lord, you're working in hearts and minds. No matter where we are, whether we've walked with you for 50 or 60 years, whether we are just now hearing the, the salvation message of Christ for the very first time, Lord, we've heard the message today. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We celebrate that he has risen, uh, that we have no reason to pity, we have no reason to be sad, that it's joy. Lord, we remember back to the past couple of weeks where we talked about what happens when lost things are found. And we know, Lord, that that's the thing that gets the party started in heaven when people who don't know you and are separated from you by their own sin find your son Christ and are saved. And so, Lord, we pray today and we ask and we, we wait to see if those who don't know you yet We'll ask you to be Lord and Savior. Lord, today, even in this room, even in this moment, we can pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, forgive me for doing things my own way. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart and it, that, that you have been raised from the dead, that you carried my sin to the cross and you were victorious over sin and over death. Lord Jesus Christ, save me. The scripture says, "If we believe that, if we pray that, if we are sincere in our relationship with you, it says that you will come and you'll make a home in us." We know that the the temple veil was broken when Christ uh, died, and we know that's because now the 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 Spirit of God will no longer inhabit a place, a building, a property. But now he inhabits the lives and the praise and and the hearts of his people. And if you pray and ask Christ to save you, he will come in. He will fill those gaps, those holes, those longings, those desires, the failures, the brokenness. Lord, we love you. And we're learning to love you. And we thank you for the message that you've given us about Easter. About your son rising again. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.